Wedgwood Christian Services is a place where hope and healing meet. Join me, Hillary Kirkendall, Wedgwood's Marketing and Communications Coordinator, as I sit down for conversations with the amazing people who work at, learn from, and grow through our grace-filled residential care, counseling services, and community programs. Grab your cup of coffee or tea and enjoy experts sharing their insights on the challenges people are facing and stories of hope, healing, and transformation. These are Wedgwood's Coffee Break Conversations. Recently, Wedgwood hosted our annual State of the Child panel conversation, an event that brings together local teens and community experts to dive into the toughest challenges facing kids and families today. Topics covered at this year's event include mental health, trauma, substance use, life online, and healthy relationships. Each topic was kicked off with a pre-recorded interview with local teens. Then, our panel of experts, moderated by ABC4 West Michigan's Miranda, responded to the teens' honest insights and shared their expertise. This year's panel of experts included Dr. Lisa Lowry, who is the Section Chief for Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine at Spectrum Health, Kaylee Jackson, a residential therapist here at Wedgwood, Chris Becker, the Kent County Prosecuting Attorney, Carrie Schulte, who is a Recovery Services Clinical Supervisor here at Wedgwood, and Kevin Polston, who is the Superintendent for Kentwood Public Schools. In the second episode of our State of the Child series, Miranda talks with the teens and panelists about the realities of trauma in the lives of students. I don't think school stresses most of us out as much. I think it's mostly home life that stresses us out because there are a lot of kids who are going through worse stuff at home than they are at school. So I feel like the more that they're going through at home, the worse it's going to affect their school life and their personal life and their public life. But school and academics and sports, all of that will add tons of stress. Everybody's gonna process it a little bit differently. Like, I'm gonna process some, like, a loss in the family different than, like, my sister would or something like that. Like, it's all, it's, our brains are all different. We're not the same people. So some, some people might be like, I wanna talk and be open. And other people might be like, I need time, like, alone to myself. And it's just something that's just like, it's not this set, like, oh, one person went through it this way, so they're all going to go through it this way. So there's a bunch of different forms of trauma, like anything. It can be present, it can be from your past, it can be verbal, physical, it can be anything. It can be something that, like, really haunts you, especially if it's from your past. Like, just knowing that that happened and it's just there, like, you can seek all the help that you need, but it's still always going to be there. There's some people at my school that are, like, really stressed out about some stuff. I know a girl that was like hurting herself. Like she got a therapist now, but like we were at school and she was sitting at her desk and when my friend looks over and she goes, what's that on your arm? And she pulled her sleeve back down and she wouldn't tell us, but we found out later that she was cutting her arm and now she just wears long sleeves all the time. So it's not always obvious. For me, it wasn't obvious because it was all emotional and mental. It was never physical. So it was just a matter of you have to be able to tell because each kid is going to react differently. Honestly, I speak out about it. I try to get awareness on the subject. I try to show others that this isn't right. Something's got to change. And like, it's the best, it's it's the most I can do at this point in my life, so. Kaylee, we'll start with you. Major trauma versus minor trauma, does it really matter major or minor when it comes to our kids and how they feel 
trauma is impacting them? I think it definitely does. I personally don't like to use major and minor because I think there's some measurement there. I like to use big T and little t. So think about big T, upper uppercase. That's a trauma that's going to lead into PTSD. There's bigger long-term symptoms. We're seeing it affecting the holistic body. We're seeing nightmares, um, depression. It's affecting the way we seek safety and gain our relationships moving forward. Those are things like sexual assault, physical violence, natural disasters. But then I think of little t, little traumas, things like infidelity or moving frequently as a young kid, maybe being in an unsafe neighborhood. These are circumstances that make us more likely to experience trauma, but not symptoms or things that would lead into full-blown PTSD. We're still struggling with trauma symptomology. We may be feeling worthless or less than, um, needing to tap into some creative coping skills, but it's not something that's going to overwhelm the entire body. I really like um, that the youth talked about trauma looks different in everybody. Um, and so when you think about big T and little t, don't think about that as one set way of a trauma symptom showing up. One person who has nightmares, the other person won't have it at all. Um, and so the best thing to do is to ask. I like that the gentleman said the best thing to do is to talk about it. Stop acting like it's not here. Bring it up. You see the signs and the symptoms. Ask the question and be direct. That is the best thing you can do. So Dr. Lowry, um, many of us here have kids, we work with kids, we have employees who are young people. What are some signs that we should be watching for and then how do we get into it with these young people? The, the signs and symptoms, like Kaylee mentioned, can be variable. It could be something where, like the young lady mentioned, cutting. It could be uh, withdrawing drawing from um, activities. It could be finding a new set of friends. It could be just being irritable. So I think once we notice those changes, um, you have to ask. But I think one of the things is, and my colleagues here will know better than, that, than I, that a lot of times we say, so what's going on? So tell me. So blah, blah. And we're asking and asking. But I think what's more important is that you really ask and open that space and just say, I'm here for you. And the other thing is, you don't have to re-traumatize them by having them tell the story over and over again. Um, and also, like you talked about the big T and little team, we talked about families. Remember, a lot of times, this, this, uh, this trauma is familial. So if I have a parent that is being abused, and, and, and it just builds, and then we also, if... I didn't see how, you know, if there's trauma in my family and I saw how my family copes with trauma um, and it may not have been a good coping mechanism, maybe it was substance abuse, maybe other things, then I'm going to learn those bad coping mechanisms. And then we also have to talk, remember that talking about mental health is still very stigmatizing. So, you know, we don't want to talk about that. So. Carrie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'd like to kind of echo what you just said. I think it's really important for adults to be a safe place for kids, um, whether that's a teacher, whether that's a parent, whether that's a coach. We need to put our phones down, and we need to be making eye contact with our kids. Um, they need to know that you're present and that you're there and that you're a safe space for them. Um, and I think that going along with the trauma discussion, um, in the mental health field, we talk about ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences. Um, and that those can range from um, substance use in the home to the loss of a parent, whether that be by death or divorce or food insecurity. Like, there's a whole range of things, and a student can have a lot of them or a few of them, but they all affect you 
both currently and into adulthood. So I think just being aware that trauma is on a range and on a spectrum as well. So Chris, how does this play out in your work? Well, I was just thinking, echoing exactly what she said in terms of the trauma of the family. I mean, that's the thing. I, mean, I can think of three homicide cases over the last year where we've had kids under 10 witness a parent get shot. In a homicide case, you know, talk about big T, you want, that's a big T, but then taking a step down, uh, domestic violence. Domestic violence is up around 10% uh, countrywide, and so, you know, that's violence in the home. That's, you know, watching, a, a, usually it's the male, you know, dad being a mom, uh, that's trauma in itself. So, and then you throw on the substance abuse, uh, losing a job, maybe, you know, not knowing where the, the next meal's coming from. I mean, that's, you know, we're dealing with those kinds of kids and, you know, we can, we get them in the juvenile system and we can look at the kid and then try and help that kid. But if you're not reaching the family, I think that's, that's really the key is reaching out to the family and trying to, to fix that family unit and try and get in there and help that whole situation. That's going to be the best um, bang for the buck, if you will, in terms of getting this problem solved. So, Kevin, we like to say, well, thank goodness the school system is going to take care of this for us. <laughs> he smirks at me. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we want the school system to just take care of it for us because it's messy at home. Um, how does your community step in and surround, and then what more can parents do? One of our lessons through the pandemic was the value of partnership between schools and families as we saw students learning at home for some of the time or for the last year and a half. And family engagement is, is critical and that trust between families and schools Schools teaching social-emotional learning is essential for students to learn skills about expressing emotions, self-regulating emotions, or uh, schools teaching restorative practices that when there's harm in a relationship, how to repair harm and how to navigate through conflict and have those type of conversations versus avoidance and retreat and then not dealing with the issue that can then manifest. There has to be a level of trust and support from the family to school and for the school to the family, that we have to get closer for our kids, that our educators choose this profession because they genuinely care and love children, and that we're all here for the same purpose. There, there's been a lot of division in our communities about the roles that schools have in, in teaching these, what I would say are essential skills, because we know students can't do their best in school until they feel physically and emotionally safe. And the best way that we can do that is to empower our children with the skills necessary to self-regulate. And if there's times that we can't, then we have additional supports in our schools, whether it's family school coordinators like Kent School Services Network or clinicians through some of our partners like Arbor Circle or DA Blodgett, so that we have you know, wraparound supports and we have counselors and social workers that we have to, again, value the wellness of our children as our priority, they are our future. They're going to take care of you when you're older. So let's make sure they're equipped to do that. And education is the best way to start. And then to follow up on that, Dr. Lowry, let's talk about prevention. Um, when you have a young person in your office that's right on the edge and the parents are there and saying, help, um, what can we do? Is there anything we can do to prevent these things? Yeah, I think a lot of of prevention is awareness and being ha and having the conversation and then really developing the relationship. I really spend a lot of my time because most of my patients, teenagers, are fairly healthy, but I really talk to them about you know going to school, being in school, um, 
what are you going to do when you grow up? Because those, to me, we know education, being involved um, in extracurriculars, those are kind of a safety net, and we, we see, usually, we see um, less behavior issues. But I also think kind of really knowing what's going on in the home. So who do you, who's in your home and having those conversations? And then also realizing that it's a relationship, and it takes years of, of, of having that relationship and understanding. Um, but I also, when you notice some behavior change or you notice a shift, it is really sometimes having that conversation, you know, with that parent and saying, okay, let's step back, you know, Sue acted up in school today, but like kind of let's what, what's going on. And so really having that, hopefully that open conversation and then and letting this and also really empowering the student as well as knowing, letting my patients know that I'm here and you can, you can talk to me about anything. And a lot of times it's, you know, they may not say it the first day, but then I say, so when do you want to come back? And they're like, well, can I come back next week? And I'm like, okay. And then you develop those relationships. And so I think, but I think when we talk about, and I'm going to get on a little soapbox moment, so forgive me here. When we, we, when we say we want to do prevention and, and, and focus on our schools, if we're going to walk, walk, Talk to talk, we have to walk to walk. So we need to fund our schools better, fund our teachers better, you know, stop having all the siloing of resources that we have. So it's all good and well that we say this, but when we don't pay our teachers what they need to do and they're stressed and we don't empower our schools and we still have desperate funding of schools, then a lot of times we're just providing lip service to this and we're not, and, and, and we're just saying, oh, our schools, yes, our schools should do this. But are you providing, are we as a society and as a community providing the necessary resources? Um, and so I'm going to stop right there. No, you can um, <laughs> I was no, going to say, do we you're, have you're, a name in the crowd? <laughs> so I'm sorry. I went down. Miranda warned me. She said, don't take us anywhere we don't want to go. But I, I just, I can't, I can't sit here and him say that and not say that because when they perform poorly in school and the student, the teacher says, well, this kid needs to be on ADHD medicine for them to go back in school, then, then they come to my office, but then I can't get them in the counseling services. Something's wrong with our system. And so I'm done, Miranda. I'm sorry, Miranda. No, I'm done. No, I think she needed to go where she needed to go. Let's give her a big round of applause. <laughs> And if we do have any teachers or educators in the room, can't wait, uh, thank you for the good work you do every day. Thank you. So whether it is big T or little T trauma, it still has an impact on the well-being of kids and families. And like Dr. Lowry so boldly brought up, it takes the whole community to ensure kids and families have access to the support and services that they need to address the trauma and its impacts on their lives. Join us next week as our panel and teens dive into a conversation about substance use. And special thanks to our teen charge students, our panel of experts, Miranda, Frederick Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park, Lumbermans, and our event sponsors for making this series possible. Wedgwood Christian Services is committed to extending God's love and providing exceptional care and support. Head on over to wedgwood.org, that's W-E-D-G-W-O-O-D.org, to learn more about how you can get connected to services, support Wedgwood's mission, or join our team. 
Connect with us on social media at Wedgwood CS or send us an email at hello at Wedgwood.org. We would love to be a part of your story. Until next time, these are Wedgwood's Coffee Break Conversations.